Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here with another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. The long-awaited report from Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz about the alleged FISA abuse or surveillance abuse is soon to be released. I thought I would offer a brief pre-analysis before the report is made public. First, I think there are five key things for you to remember as you hear and read the news stories and the analyses about the findings. First of all, most news reporters and analysts who comment on the Horowitz report will not have read it. They will rely on other news reports, other news reporters, what they're saying, and or spin provided by partisans and others with vested interests. This is important to keep in mind as you hear them speak with authority or supposed authority about what's in the report. Number two, most news reporters and analysts who do read any part of the report will only have reviewed the summary and or the conclusion, something you can do yourself if you find a copy, and I'll try to post it on my website at CherylAckison.com as soon as I can get a copy of it to post. Some of those who read those sections, the summary and or conclusion, may also read partial sections pointed out to them by partisans and others with vested interests to prove their particular points. Again, keep this in mind when you hear people giving their analyses. Number three, the report will likely offer plenty of criticism, but if the past is any guide, it will often accept the most innocent explanation for any inappropriate act, barring an explicit admission of the contrary. In other words, in the past, If an official has been found to have done something wrong or improper or suspicious, but he simply tells the inspector general he accidentally destroyed the documents that would prove something or that he doesn't recall something, it is often that which is accepted as the explanation that, well, there's nothing to prove otherwise, so we have to believe that intentions were pure or that anything that happened that was wrong was accidental and not nefarious. Here I will point out that The Department of Justice Inspector General, who is the watchdog over the Department of Justice, actually works under the Department of Justice. And yes, inspectors general are supposed to be independent. Some are more independent than others if we go by history. But they do, in the end, rely to some degree on the agency that they are supposed to watchdog. And sometimes this does impact what they do. More on that in a moment. A fourth thing to keep in mind when you hear these results and reports on the Horowitz report is that Horowitz is not an island. There are other officials at the Inspector General's office, including the head general counsel, who weigh in on and impact what a report ultimately says. I learned this firsthand when the Department of Justice examined at my request one of my computers in the government computer intrusion. Now, it was not allowed to look at the main computer, which is the source of my lawsuit, and where we have the forensic evidence with the internet protocol address of the government showing there was a government intrusion. CBS News, where I worked at the time, would not let the inspector general examine that primary computer, but I asked them to look at a personal computer of mine where I had already gotten forensic evidence with my own analyst, but thought there was no harm in asking the inspector general to see if with their government tools they would be able to identify more about what the government had done. Long story short, and you can read more about this if you're curious at CherylAckison.com. Under investigations, I wrote a lot of summary about my computer case. But long story short, 
the investigators from the Department of Justice Inspector General who looked at this ancillary computer, not the main one, did find lots of suspicious activity, documented it along the way. They said somebody had done intrusions into the computer, just like my main computer at CBS News, which we already knew. But before this report was issued, someone got involved at the Department of Justice Inspector General's office, according to the investigators. They told me someone, first of all, narrowed the scope of the probe so they were no longer to look at anything unless it was proven to be a remote computer intrusion into my computer. So all of a sudden, these investigators started saying whoever had messed around with and hacked into my home computer was actually in my house doing it, not doing it remotely, and therefore it was out of their purview all of a sudden for this report that they were doing. They wouldn't tell me who narrowed the definition of what they were supposed to look at for my computer, but they simply said it had been narrowed. Even so, it would have been helpful to have their documentation of the things they had told me. I made contemporaneous notes at the time about the suspicious things that had been done, which we had pretty much duplicated with our own forensics, but it would be helpful to have the inspector general saying so. But all of a sudden, instead of releasing that report, as promised, they decided not to issue it. And I was told it had to go to the Department of Inspector General's chief counsel's office or the general counsel office of Bill Blyer, and that he was the one that was determining things, I suppose, like the scope of the report, was, but was definitely the one determining whether I could see it, my own report about my own computer that I had asked them to conduct. Ultimately, they never released the report, and I was told by these officials at the Department of Justice Inspector General, by the investigators who I liked, and I think they had done a thorough job, well, you can always file a Freedom of Information Act request for the material, and I did that, and to this day, they have not properly filled it with the notes that I saw them take, with the information that they told me, with the material they had me look at. None of that has been released to me or anybody else to this day. I don't know why, and that's sort of a sidebar to the main forensics of the computer, the CBS computer that was intruded upon, but I think this showed me that Horowitz is not an island, that there are other forces at play Certainly, if they are at play in the investigation into my computers and the government intrusion into that, they would be at play with an investigation into the government's alleged FISA abuse. Okay, number five, to remember when the Horowitz report is released tomorrow. Horowitz's authority is limited. He doesn't have the power to prosecute anybody. So even when he has referred an official at the agency where he technically works under for possible prosecution, He's referring that case to the Justice Department, the agency where the official has friends and colleagues, possibly even co-conspirators. Therefore, the Department of Justice can and frequently does toss aside Horowitz's recommendations to pursue criminal charges once he's made his findings. Now, the most prominent recent example of Horowitz's limited authority of an example of when he referred something for possible criminal prosecution, but it went nowhere is his referral of former FBI Director James Comey for criminal prosecution for improperly leaking memos that Comey had written about President Trump. That's a big deal. But in the end, the Justice Department decided not to prosecute Comey, saying that, well, the officials there said, they didn't think Comey knew or intended to violate laws on handling classified information. Now, I, I find this particularly ironic since Comey let Hillary Clinton off the hook under the same reasoning, and one would think 
Comey thoroughly understood how classified government material is supposed to be handled. At least he should. Is there any excuse for the head of the FBI who had investigated somebody else for this very thing? Is there any excuse for him not understanding the rules under which classified material are supposed to be handled? If he doesn't have to follow those rules or if he violates them or doesn't know them, then should anybody have to abide by them if not the head of the FBI? Then what's the point of having it? What's the point of thinking we can protect classified material? What's the point of making it classified? Do only lesser people who don't have high up positions or good connections at the Justice Department get prosecuted if they mishandle classified information? So Republicans have been making predictions for months with the Horowitz report saying they think it will be a blockbuster calling out important former intelligence officials for shocking bad faith acts involving spying on political rivals. Again, kind of ironic, that's the very thing Democrats are accusing President Trump of having done, taking action against a political rival for political purposes, taking action against Joe Biden or seeking to take action against Joe Biden and coordinating with Ukraine to do it. That's the accusation behind the impeachment uh, charges or procedures going on right now. But it looks pretty clearly like that's what was going on, at least on the part of some officials during the 2016 campaign, some intelligence officials and others who spied on, surveilled, however you want to put it, multiple officials connected to then-candidate Donald Trump. Now, Democrats, on the other hand, have been saying they expect this Horowitz report to do something else. They expect it to validate the FBI's controversial wiretaps of a particular Trump associate to show that there wasn't widespread FISA abuse, and they think the findings will prove their points. But if Horowitz's prior reports are any indication, I'm thinking we could probably expect some of both. Because if Michael Horowitz has proven to be one thing, it's diplomatic. A reminder that Horowitz has served as the independent watchdog over the Department of Justice since President Obama appointed him April 16, 2012. He's considered well-respected by many Democrats and Republicans. My own take on that is both parties don't know exactly what to make of Horowitz. Depending on who's the target of his scrutiny, one side likes him because often he doesn't entirely let the bad guys off the hook. The other side likes him because often he doesn't go too far or too high up in assigning blame. From a political standpoint, that's considered a win-win. People are sort of held accountable, but not too accountable. It's pretty safe for both sides. A recent example of this can be found when Horowitz recovered some of the supposedly accidentally deleted text messages between two FBI officials, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. These text messages had been written in 2016. The two FBI officials said in the messages they were working to keep Donald Trump from getting elected, among other things, and they wanted to establish a, quote, insurance policy in case Trump did win. You may recall that these accidentally deleted text messages were important because they were part of investigations into whether Strzok, Page, other FBI officials, others in the intelligence community had in fact framed Donald Trump or done something improper involving his campaign because they were political rivals or because the intelligence community did not want Donald Trump and those he would bring with him looking into what the intelligence community had been doing 
for the past 10 to 15 years, some of which might have been improper. Anyway, you may recall that a bunch of text messages the FBI said had accidentally been deleted, and even though the FBI claimed it couldn't recover the critical messages, mind you, this is the top supposedly most technically advanced law enforcement agency we have saying that they couldn't recover deleted text messages, when clearly they were recoverable because Inspector General Horowitz was able to recover at least some of them. And even though the law requires the FBI to preserve communications between employees on their official phones and even communications between employees if they make them on other devices, that's all public record, or it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be owned by we, the public, and maintained under public records laws. Yet there was no announced action against the FBI or the specific officials involved for losing these messages and claiming they couldn't be recovered. In fact, according to Horowitz, the inspector general who looked into all of this, the FBI didn't even provide a specific explanation for the failure in the FBI's text messaging collection related to Strux and Page's phones. In other words, our top law enforcement agency, the FBI, was allowed the latitude that I think few of us would be given if we were to destroy or accidentally delete or lose or say there was a technical snafu regarding records we were supposed to preserve or records that Congress wanted from us or the FBI wanted to see. But I think even more troubling is that it happened again and the same innocent explanation was accepted. Scandalously, the same two FBI officials, Strzok and Page, were hired to work on special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into alleged Trump-Russia collusion. So these anti-Trump officials who had expressed some really alarming things in their text messages, but unbeknownst at the time, supposedly to Robert Mueller, were then hired to work on the Mueller investigation against Trump. So when Horowitz told Mueller's office about the disturbing content of these two officials' recovered text messages, somewhere around that time, both officials were removed from the Mueller-Trump investigation. But, believe it or not, their phones were wiped clean before outside investigators could see what was in them. So here we have the people investigating Trump for supposed Russia collusion themselves failing to follow very simple, proper processes for record retention and saving public records and retaining information, even knowing at the time this happened, even knowing when these phones were wiped that these two FBI officials were the subject of some controversy and likely to be under some sort of investigation in the future if people ever knew, and they did, what they had been texting about and ever knew um, other conflicts of interest that were going on within our intelligence agencies. So Horowitz investigated that snafu, and here's what that turned up, that the FBI employee who inherited Strzok's phone after he turned it in, after he left the Mueller probe, it was supposedly issued to somebody else, that employee says, well, she doesn't recall it containing any substantive messages, so apparently nothing to worry about. And then Lisa Page's phone, according to Horowitz's investigation, quote, couldn't be located for several months, but when it was finally found, it had also been reset and had no messages. I mean, if that isn't alarming, at least from a negligence standpoint, assuming the best-case scenario, I don't know what is. Well, the Deputy Attorney General at the Justice Department 
told Horowitz at the time that the FBI wiping return phones is standard procedure. I mean, this appears to be a routine, blatant violation of public records law. In his report on the whole thing, Horowitz ultimately called it a collection tool failure. The response to all of it felt like little more than a shoulder shrug. There was no mention of accountability for whoever at the FBI thought it was okay not to track or preserve the phone content of controversial FBI figures while they were under investigation. Republicans got to squawk about the outrage, and Democrats got to point to the inspector general's tacit finding, implying that he was accepting that it was all just an innocent error. Meantime, why wouldn't it happen again, twice in a row in pretty controversial circumstances and no indications that somebody won't do the same thing again if messages that are controversial somebody doesn't want seen, they'll disappear, those phones will be wiped, why wouldn't it happen again? The impending report from Horowitz now will examine the intelligence community's actions and representations or alleged misrepresentations in surveilling Trump campaign associates during the 2016 campaign. We already know it will be lengthy and thorough, and I'm eager to read it. But regardless of what's in there, I will be thinking of former Trump campaign volunteer Carter Page, no relationship to FBI official Lisa Page, Carter Page, whom the FBI improperly surveilled for a full year under the auspices that he was supposedly a Russian spy or imminently about to become one. As we now know, Carter Page had never even met or communicated with Donald Trump at the time the FBI claimed he was the secret nexus between Trump and Russia President Putin. There is no justification for a year's worth of FBI wiretaps obtained by falsely claiming they had good evidence of Page acting as a Russian agent or imminently about to become one. You see, they're not allowed to get a wiretap on a U.S. citizen, a very sensitive thing, unless they have evidence, strong evidence that they've collected, not secondhand, that they've verified that the U.S. citizen is either currently a foreign agent or imminently about to become one. Clearly, if they wiretap Page over and over and over and over again for a year, never charged him with anything, he wasn't a Russian agent or imminently about to become one. They were either using that to spy on the Trump campaign or our best top intelligence officials are just that bad and misguided at their job that they would keep following the wrong guy, keep violating his privacy protections and not let go time and time again, even when they couldn't turn up the goods. This is a problem. And as I've explained in some of my reporting, that wiretap of Page could have allowed agents to secretly collect private information on hundreds, if not thousands, of people who were in communication with Page. You see, the way our surveillance works, the intelligence community gives itself access not just to the wiretapped individual, but everybody who communicates with him. So if you emailed or called or sent a photograph to Carter Page during this time period, the FBI could gather all your communications too. And here's the shocker. It doesn't end there. The FBI can then gather all the communications of the people that talk to the person who talked to Carter Page. This is called two hops away. In other words, they can collect data on someone who never even communicated with the actual target, but was two steps away from the actual wiretap target. That means 
Although Donald Trump never directly communicated with Carter Page from the evidence we have now, Trump surely communicated with somebody who communicated at some point with Carter Page, such as Steve Bannon, and therefore that potentially opens up Donald Trump to the FBI, all of his communications, all of his contacts to the FBI. That's why it's such a sensitive, important thing to understand how and why the wiretap was granted, yet the subject of the wiretap, this guy that the FBI supposedly had all the evidence on to get the wiretap, was never charged with anything. So no matter what we learn from Horowitz's report, the FBI's action, I think, was at least a very serious lapse in judgment and oversight that justifies a major look back at the agency's wiretapping of other U.S. citizens over the years and press and politicians. At worst, the FBI's action was a blatant act to spy on a political rival. Carter Page is owed an apology, and I'll be surprised if that's in anyone's report. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, leave a comment, like it, share it with your friends, and consider subscribing to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast and Full Measure After Hours. Those are two of my podcasts. You can listen to them on iTunes or your favorite distributor, or visit CherylAckeson.com and just look at the podcast tab. You can listen to them right there. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Thanks for listening.